0: beaches of South Florida. Is that you? Hello. Oh my gosh. How in the heck are you? You look amazing today. It is so good to see you again. Come on in. Have a seat. Follow us or subscribe or whatever it is your medium requires and stay a while. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Say, while you're here, can I get you something to think today? Leave the squirrels alone, bub. And for the love of Pete, save your ammo. Okay, boss. This here haying job has served its purpose for us. Sam and Sid have been good to us. We're burning daylight, boss. Let's get on our way. Yep. Yep. It's the year 1896. Grover Cleveland is president of the United States. Albert Edward VII is the reigning king of England. Henry Ford has developed and completed his first vehicle. George Burns and F. Scott Fitzgerald are born. Gold is discovered in the Yukon. The first modern Olympic Games are held in Athens, Greece. The population of Frankfurt, Germany has more than doubled over the previous two decades to nearly 250,000. And the first speeding fine is handed down to Walter Arnold of East Peckham, Kent, England. He has fined one shilling for the excessive speed of eight miles per hour. Uh, Meanwhile, in the southeast corner of Idaho, and just about ten miles north of Bear Lake, lies the rural community of Montpelier, Idaho. Founded by Mormon colonists in 1864, it had grown only modestly until the Oregon Shortline Railroad built a station there in 1884. The spring snow and rains in southeastern Idaho had brought on an abundant crop and plentiful grazing for the folks in the area. The squirrels that year had invaded nearly every nook and cranny in the region, and ads for exterminating solutions checkered the local newspapers. The entire nation had been cooked in a heat wave that left 1,500 people dead from Chicago to Boston. And on this particular Thursday, August the 13th, 1896, in Montpelier, Idaho, It was sweltering. In the distance, a low lifting dust followed at the hooves of three riders and a little yellow sorrel mare that trailed in the rear with a pack saddle cinched on her back. Under the blistering afternoon sun, Robert, William, and Henry leisurely loped till they reached the edge of town, but then slowed their horses to a walk along the street. Had Samuel Emile seen them from his shop, He might have recognized the three men he'd recently hired for gathering hay on his ranch near Cokeville, Wyoming. Samuel was an immigrant from Switzerland. At 46 years old, he was a watchmaker, jeweler, and optician. He was also married to the beautiful Sidonia Schwartz. Sidonia, or Miss Emile, had just turned 33. They had a five-year-old daughter by the name of Marguerite. Sidonia was a strong and capable immigrant from Germany who handled their Wyoming spread while her husband ran his shop. She considered these three men just now riding into town as some good workers. First stop. The general store. <laughs> Play it cool. Everything according to plan. Don't get too friendly or sassy. Either way, that'd be too memorable. I'm talking to you, bub. Don't be so confounded nice. Just for once. Psst. Henry, I just wanted to give you some advice. Always borrow money from a pessimist. He won't expect it back. ha. <laughs> Afternoon boys, welcome to my general store. Ed Burgoyne at your service. Let me know if you need anything Will that be all for you gentlemen this afternoon? Thank you for your business a good day to you And they seemed nice enough. I wonder if them three gents work for the Scotsman, Andy Little, running sheep over in the Boise area. Sometimes I envy that ranching lifestyle. You live out in the open, you look up at the sky, and you know what it's going to do, rain or shine. You've got your work to do, and so you just do it. That's all. Well, back to work for me. After a casual drink or two at the Palace Saloon, the strangers then remounted and walked their horses east along Washington Street. The time was 3.10 in the afternoon when they stopped across the street in front of the bank of Montpelier. Here they dismounted and tied up their horses at the hitching Rack. G.C. Gray, who was the cashier at the bank, had just stepped onto the boarded sidewalk outside the bank and was visiting with Ed Hoover. The men glanced up without recognizing the riders, and without a second thought, they resumed their conversation. Psst, Henry, why did the bank owner buy cows? I don't know. To beef up security. (laughs) Bub, Henry, I've been looking forward to seeing this for a while. Hold your horses. Oh, button your lip, William. I'll do my part. You just do yours. Henry stayed with the horses while Robert and William walked across the street to the bank. Mr. Gray and Mr. Hoover paid sudden attention when the two men approached and drew their revolvers. No funny business now. Everybody just slowly move inside. I'm itching to squeeze off a couple rounds. Don't tempt me, or I'll clock you both out of fur. It's closing time. Come on out from behind there. Let me see them hands up and everybody face towards the wall. What's your name? eh, Bud Bud All Alright, Bud. Where are the greenbacks? Come on bud, spill the beans. Now open the vault. While William held them at gunpoint, Robert stuffed all the bank's cash money into a large sack. After raiding the vault, Robert tossed loose silver coins into the bag, then dumped a sack of gold coins into a cloth bank bag. Can you believe the squirrel infestation we've had this year? I have a mind to... Oh. Oh. More varmints. Well, who do we have here? I'm Councilman William Perkins. I don't care who you are. That was sarcasm, you squirrel brain. Now get over there. Get your hands up and keep your face to the wall. When Robert was finished emptying the safe, he carried the loot outside, walked slowly across the street, and loaded the bags onto his horse and the pack mare. All right, old girl, slow and easy. Let's go. Henry was holding the getaway horses outside. The assistant cashier glanced out the window and got a good look at him. That is until William whacked him upside the head. Keep your eyes over toward the wall. Don't you be getting so curious. Well, Henry then brings William's horse over in front of the bank and ties it up to the hitching post. And then Henry rides out easy. Now, folks, there ain't no sense in playing the hero and risking your life today. Don't you make a fuss for at least ten minutes or I'll come riding back in here and make sure we ain't got any witnesses. Get up there! Ha! 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 Bud, has it been ten minutes? Yeah. Oh, well, it's. Oh, good laws. Are you joshing me? It's the curse of the number 13. Bud, what are you talking about? August 13th? Thirteen minutes past three o'clock. Thirteen dollars was the last deposit made, and 13 drafts have been issued so far today. Oh, if that don't give you the willies, you ain't breathing. <laughs> oh, any, Bud, breathe into a paper bag and get a grip on yourself. You're spewing mumbo jumbo. I'm going to get the sheriff. Oh, thank goodness you're here, Fred. I, I mean, Deputy Crookshank. What? Why are you talking so official like to me? The bank's been robbed. They had guns, Macintosh got whacked on the eye, and my assistant got his head thumped. Robbed? What bank? Our bank? Our bank has been robbed? Yes, yes, yes. You need to go after them. You want me to what? Take after the robbers? Well, well, I'm just a process server. I don't even own a gun. Or a horse. (laughs) Hold on a minute. I got me a penny-farthing. A penny what? Oh, you know, one of them fancy fangled bicycles with giant front wheel and a tiny rear. Oh, it's a contraption of marvel. Uh, I'll give chase to those bandits. Modern transportation to the rescue! Fred! Fred, if if you ain't got a gun, what are you going to do if you catch him? Fred! Ugh. I guess he'll pedal across that bridge when he gets there. <music> Attorney J.A. Bagley also took after the chase on horseback. Bagley specialized in criminal defense. Uh, that's kind of suspicious, don't you think? Wondering if he was just trying to drum up business. Well, Fred, did you get him? A kick grab? No. What, what would I threaten them with, my bike bell? But I do know that they were headed east up the canyon road towards Thomas Fork. <laughs> Most likely going on into Wyoming. And I will be relaying that information to Sheriff Davis when he returns. Sheriff Davis was eight miles away in Paris, Idaho, when he was notified by telegram and he returned immediately organized the posse, and took up the chase. For a week, the posse followed through the rugged landscape of the Western Wyoming mountain range, but they gave up the chase near Snyder Basin. No one really knows what happened to the money, or for that matter, exactly where the men went, but there are solid suspicions on both. One thing is for certain, the bandits had planned well. They apparently used the haying job with the Emil family as a cover while they traced the best escape route and located a spot a few miles from Cokeville, Wyoming, to hide a quick change of fresh horses that were provided by Bub's brother. The three men's names, well, they are known by their mamas as Henry Rhodes Meeks Jr., William Ellsworth Lay, and Robert Leroy Parker. But history knows them as Bub, Elsie, and Butch Cassidy, three members of the notorious Wild Bunch. Well, how in tarnation did all this come about? Life was grueling for the Meeks family with 11 children. Everyone worked from sunup to sundown. There were bare necessities and no luxury in their lives. From this family came the little-known outlaw, Bub Meeks. Butch and Bub were neighbors in Circleville and Marysville, Utah. They swam and fished in the Severe River and cowboyed around starting when they were in their late teens and early 20s. At one time, they were in the cattle business together, or at least posing as cattle buyers. Some say they were buying one cow and stealing ten. A story in the Green River Star of October 24, 1979, quotes Bub's nephew, Henry Len Meeks that they were a loosely grouped band of juvenile delinquents on horseback robbing banks and trains to earn easy money some documented stories claim that butch held contests of horsemanship and marksmanship and uncle bub was chosen along with Elsie lay bub is said to have been involved in holdups in winnemucca nevada logan utah wyoming and idaho the record is so convoluted that we can never really know the whole truth different newspapers have conflicting dates Names wrong, places wrong, details different, misleading information everywhere. Pretty much the same as it is today. Regardless, one thing is agreed to as a truth. Bub is quite a character. Family members of his generation said that he was just wild. Remember it was a different era. Sometimes the only law was hanging on the next guy's hip. Bub was indeed a, hmm, how do I put this lightly, a he-lion. That doesn't say he-lion. Read the real word. Bub was a hellion. Butch, Bub, and Elsie Lay were considered a friend at most ranches. They often worked for the ranchers and worked hard and honestly. Many ranchers welcomed them into their homes. For some reason, there seems to be no authoritative answer as to how much the bandits got away with that day in Montpelier, Idaho. Reports vary widely from as little as 5,000 to around 16,000 or over 50,000. A figure of about 5,000 was reported by the Montpelier Examiner who broke the local story in their August 15th edition. But whatever the amount, none of the money was ever recovered. Now that little yellow sorrel mare who was packing their loot, she was quite a little racehorse and Butch and Bub won lots of money racing her. After Butch cleared town, she was turned loose and followed the saddle horses out through the hills. After the riders changed to fresh horses for the second leg of the journey, that little trusty mare could not sustain the pace and was left somewhat behind. I'm a little worried, Robert. We shouldn't have left her so far behind. It'd be pretty blasted pointless if she ends up in the wrong hands. From this vantage point we can see clear down this valley and I can't see nothing but he waves. Bub? You ought to get your eyes checked. She's a meandering just beyond them trees. Oh, sweet maresy dotes and dozy dotes. She made it. And so far, it looks like she's alone and packing her plunder. (laughs) Now, folks, $5,000 ain't nothing to sniff at. In today's dollars, That paper alone would be valued at near $200,000, not to mention the precious metal coinage that Butch sacked up. Elzy, Bub, and Butch had a common friend in a gentleman by the name of Matt Warner. Now, Matt had been hired to protect a client, and in the process of protecting, he got in a skirmish and killed a man in self-defense. Because of Matt's shady past, he was now awaiting trial for murder in Ogden, Utah, The trio cooked up the Montpelier robbery to get bail and lawyer money for his defense, which they did thanks to the charitable donations of the Montpelier bank. Matt was still convicted of the lesser charge of manslaughter when it was proven that he had shot in self-defense after he himself had been shot in the leg. Butch, LZ, and Bub did at least one train robbery over the next year on the run. The three purportedly had an agreement not to shoot anybody. On April 21st, 1887, they robbed the Castle Gate, Rio Grande. Uncle Bub cut the telegraph wires and waited with relay horses. Cassidy and Lay stuck up Paymaster Carpenter as he stepped out of the payroll train and walked toward his office. They alleviated him of the Castlegate Coal Company's $8,800 payroll. The infuriated Mr. Carpenter pursued them in a commandeered locomotive. They were quickly out of range of the train and rode for robber's roost. After the Castlegate heist, Butch and Elsie had ridden south. And Bub went to Wyoming, where he was spotted in Cheyenne by a sharp-eyed railroad detective, and arrested. Meeks was the only one ever arrested for the Montpelier bank robbery. Cassidy and Lay were never brought to trial. Bub was subsequently extradited to Idaho, where he was to stand trial for the robbery. It was noted that when arrested meeks had only 35 cents in cash bub defiantly declared that he had not received one dollar from the montpelier heist which is kind of a roundabout way of admitting that you have done it but never profited from it though unprofitable it's still a crime yet he was somewhat telling the truth about not receiving his cut of the loot as the bulk of the heist was of course donated to matt warner's legal defense Issues with Bub's legal representation had him at wit's end during the trial. And before a verdict could be reached, Bub had lost his temper and cussed at his attorney, the jury, and the judge. While declaring his innocence of the crime charged against him, Meeks made no effort to prove to the jury his whereabouts at the time the bank was robbed. It was intimated during the trial and after Meeks' conviction that he had been mixed up in a Union Pacific robbery in Wyoming, but fearing that his identity might be discovered and that he might get a bigger sentence for the train robbery, he kept silent and made no effort to prove an alibi. Regrettably, letters of support for Meeks were held back until after the trial. There were many people in the town of Montpelier who openly stated after the trial that Meeks was a victim of circumstances and did not commit the robbery. Others contended that he was known to have been the associate of a gang of daring crooks and his conviction was just a good riddance to the country. On September 7, 1897, at 28 years old, Bub was found guilty and sentenced to 35 years in the penitentiary in Boise. (laughs) Under his given name, Henry Meeks. Now, this was the harshest penalty ever handed down for a bank robbery in Idaho. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Well, dad blessed it! I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review and do it right now. If, if you would, it'd sure be appreciated. Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the go to show option and then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars in a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I can disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We'd love to hear from you. You could DM us on our Instagrams at FYO.podcast. And thank you. Hi, are you still there? Remember to download the Family Tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode. All those links will be included in the show notes. Sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth. Your gift is your ancestry. Your superpower is their family history stories that make you. Not a one of us crawled out from under a rock, regardless of what you've been told. You have 4,094 grandparents, over 12 generations, with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. (laughs) I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it. Until the next time, bye.